0: All right, good evening, everybody. Good evening. Tonight, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 6. If you want to turn in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 6. And let's pray, and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you, uh, as, as Aaron prayed, we dis- really desire your Holy Spirit to be our teacher and guide tonight. And this is a tough chapter. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff in here that will really, well, if we take it to heart, will cause us to stand out in this dying world. Um, but that's what we want. We want to be light and salt. Uh, We want to be a beacon for people to know where they can come to um, as time gets short and your appearing draws closer and closer. We want to be those um, lighthouses, those places where they can come to, and we can lead them to you, Lord. So we pray tonight you'd help us to receive everything you have for us, um, that we'd be uh, no longer debating some of these issues, but fully accepting what your word says so that we can make our decisions now before Um, before it's crunch time, Lord. That's our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul expects the Corinthian church to be um, determined, to be ready and set uh, to make the decisions to sin or not to sin beforehand, uh, before the actual moment comes of decision. And so he kind of calls them on that tonight. Uh, The Corinthian church was a spirit-filled church, and we say that every week, but I think it's important to note that. Because um, they were a carnal church, which you don't think sometimes lines up. A spiritual person is spiritual or someone who moves in the gifts of the Spirit. Well, they're they're obviously further along than most people, you know, in their walk with Jesus. But it isn't the case with the Corinthian church. They were taking pride in their very gifts that God had given them, and Paul, of course, last week said, you know, you really ought not to take pride in those. They were gifts. You know, you didn't earn them. Um and, and, and they need to be corrected on that. Well, in this chapter, he's going to talk about sin a little bit and the way they're conducting themselves as believers in this lost, dying world, and it's not appropriate. It, it looks wrong. Um, it isn't a light to this world. It isn't salt. It, it's like everything else. There's some basics to Christianity. This is one of them. Um, Christ came to not only save us from our destination of hell, our eternity, We don't have everlasting life, but he saved us to change us too, to be more like him, to be conformed into his image, to not be such a a sinny, fleshy person, but more like um, what he wants, what he was trying to do, what he tried to show us as he exemplified the image of the father here on earth. He wants us to do the same thing. There isn't room for compromise in these areas. There isn't, well, I'm going to live like the world, but deep, deep down inside, I know that I'm a Christian. Well, it shouldn't be that way. It should be deep, deep down inside, but it ought to be on the, sur- on the surface as well. We don't want to be closet Christians. We don't want to be hidden. Um, nobody sets that light uh, low or on, uh, hide it with a bushel. We're, we're to shout it from the rooftops who we are and what we believe. And so Paul is going to focus on that here. In verse 1, dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren. But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Now he's making a distinction here, and there, there are believers and unbelievers in this world. He's not talking about a believer and an unbeliever having a problem with one another, he's talking about believers having a problem with each other. And then not being able to resolve the matter as a brother or sister in the Lord with a brother or sister in the Lord to the point where they go to the lost dying world that they're trying to witness to and ask them, can you help us out over here? We're believers. We love Jesus and all. We just don't love each other right now. And as you, as an unbeliever, can you help us work out this matter? And Paul says, that's embarrassing that you're doing that. It's an embarrassment. So he tries to elevate them a little bit to help them to understand. Don't you understand that you're going to be judging the world? Well, for most of us, that's news to us. As you read through the scriptures, you have some hints about that in the Psalms. You have some ideas about that as Jesus talks about these things. And even in the book of Revelation, we have some clues, thrones, kings, priests. But then when Paul comes right out and says it, don't you know that you're, as a believer, going to be the judge of the world? You're going to judge the world. You're going to sit with Christ and judge the world with him. Oh, my goodness. And so he says, given that's your destiny, given that's where you're called to do in your heart, and that's what we're trying to work out here in your life to get rid of all the fleshy, carnal, gross stuff so that you can be a righteous judge. It's embarrassing that you're going to war with one another in the presence of the world and asking the world who has no hope who's looking for hope who's looking for light and salt and you're telling them they're better than you he says that's embarrassing he says don't you know you're gonna judge the angels well no not until just now you know that's a big deal which angels well demons are fallen angels if you didn't know that um, there are angels that decided to follow. Satan, when he fell, when he decided to make himself like the Most High God, he took a third of the angels with him. We have scripture after scripture. We're not going to do a whole Bible study on that tonight. But the idea is we do have fallen angels and they're demons. We've run into them several times throughout the Gospels. The men that were running naked inside of the tombs, demons, legions of them. Jesus says at one point, if I really needed your help, Peter, by cutting off the ear of that poor servant, don't you know that I could call legions of angels if I needed to? I could call 12 legions. 12,000 angels could come and help me right now. Gives you an idea of the numbers. Paul says, don't you know that you're going to judge angels? I don't know that we fully comprehend that. I don't know that we can. But he does want, to, want him to know that. When you begin to see yourself the way God sees you, and you understand the plan that he has for your life, and where he's taking you, and what you're being groomed for, what you're being raised up to do, It causes you to look at the smaller things in this world with a a better light. They're, They're not so important, you know. It's humbling to think about, but it's also honoring. And what Paul is saying is what I see in the Corinthian church is dishonoring to the Lord. It's embarrassing, and I don't want you to do that anymore. And so he tries to explain that to him. This judging. I thought we weren't supposed to judge each other. Well, apparently we are and will. And we ran into that a while ago that said, you know, don't judge things before their time. You know, that was just last week. Just don't judge things before their time. But there is a time when it happens and that judgment takes place. And so John chapter 10, verses 31 through 36, that's our cross-reference for this section, one of them. He says something that's always kind of confused, and, and, uh, theologians, in other words. I, th- I don't think it needs to be confusing. I think it's very clear, but we like to confuse things because we take it so literal and don't understand what the words mean. So hopefully we'll break that down tonight. Verse 31, chapter 10, John. <laughs> then the Jews took up stones again to stone him, Jesus. Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? He's a little sarcasm there. Well, why, why am I getting killed? For which one of those good? Was it for healing somebody? Was it for, which was it for now? you know. And they said, no, we're not doing that because you did a good work. We, we're killing you because you claim to be God. And here's what he says. The Jews answered him saying, for a good work, we do not stone you, but for blasphemy because you being a man, Make yourself God. Now, Jesus is fully God. He's not just a prophet. He's fully God. He said so. But he's going to do a little play on words for them. Okay, that's the idea here. Why are you judging me because I said I'm a God? Don't you know that it says that in the Psalms? And so he's going to cover that. Jesus answered, is it not written in your law? I said you are gods. Little G's, little gods. If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him, whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am a son of God? I'm simply saying what scripture says about me. I'm simply saying what you teach, what the Father has given you in text about myself. Just saying. I'm just saying that. Let's go to that text. Psalm 82 is what they're referring to. Isn't it written? Isn't it written? Well, it is right here. God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods, small g. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and the needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. I said, you are God's. And all of you are children of the Most High, that you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all nations. There's a lot going on there. The word God's there is simply judge. I've called you to be judges. When a judge on earth... And we have a book called Judges, and we have moments where there are judges uh, throughout the history of Israel and throughout. And even today we have judges, which we'll talk about a little bit. We'll talk about Justice Kavanaugh tonight. We have people that sit in a position of very high authority on this earth where they have your life in their hands. They sit on a, a very big chair. And they have to weigh things very carefully because whatever comes out of their mouth will take place. They're called judges. That's why he can interchange these words, gods and judges. When he says, I don't want you to judge each other, you don't get to at any moment in time throughout your walking with, with Christ to sit on a throne and say, you're going to hell. You're going to heaven. You're going to hell. You don't have that authority. And yet at certain times in history, God says, I called you to be judges. I want you to exercise judgment over the people. And yes, you sentence people to death. You sentence people to life. You you judge between matters. I'm giving you that promise and that authority. So I call you little gods, little judges. Jesus is saying, all I've said is, I'm one of those guys. I'm called to that. And you want to stone me for that, even though it's in God's word, he calls us that. God says you are gods. Now, there are some groups, Mormons especially, who believe that you actually become a God when you die. You actually get to be one. You get to have your own planet, and you'll be the judge, and the god of that planet, and you and your celestial wife, wives, will propagate that earth, and you get to you know that. A lot of people don't know that. We've got a wonderful little pamphlet out there that I made, or not made, but bought and put out. And it's called Cults and Religions and lets you look through all some of the highlights of some of these beliefs because it's hard to investigate everything. So this gives you like a little outline of what they believe, and they don't deny anything in these things. They, these are in their books. This is what they state about themselves. So there's nothing unusual about it. It's just all there. I encourage you to grab one. They're free. Just You have a basic understanding of these things. No, we're not actually gods. We're not actually going to, there's only one God. There's only one son of God. We know that. The word tells us that. And to get off on these is to misunderstand scripture. And so Paul says, don't you understand you're going to judge the world? Don't you know you're going to sit on the throne with others, with Christ, but with other brothers and sisters. And we rule and reign with Christ in the millennial reign. These things take place. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, if we endure as Christians, if we make it, if we all the way to the end, we don't deny Christ, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. It's throughout scripture. It's not, we're not, um, it's not our ego. Um, it's something he's claimed about us. Um, we don't have to qualify it. We don't have to say, yeah, but, and I don't know. And we don't have to hem and haw. He literally says that about us that we're going to do these things. Now, given that, most of us have no idea what that's going to look like, or how how in the world am I going to be able to do that? I mean, it is a, a it's a daunting thought. To, I'm going to do what? You know? Yeah, you're going to judge angels and you're going to judge sinners and, and you're going to you're going to sentence them. Okay, I'm going to need some training, you know, kind of thing. Well, I'm glad you said that. That's the idea. That's what Paul's getting at. Look, this is basic. You're talking about goats with unbelievers, you know? You're talking about your dog or your cat that got ran over by the car, and you can't figure out what to do about it. You're talking about property lines on an earth that is owned by the Lord, and you're having disputes and things like this. And you're not, I, I think that you're moving the marker, Fred, you know? As believers, that's embarrassing, How do you not know how to do these small, tiny matters? How in the world are you going to judge angels? It's supposed to be a sobering thought for us. These are tiny things down here. Our our life is very short on this earth. I need to spend all of my time practicing grace and mercy with brothers and sisters, first of all, but also how to understand and discern what's big and what's little in this life. Paul says these are tiny things, and you're blowing your witness and your opportunity to share Jesus Christ and to be a light and salt in this world because you want justice now on this tiny, tiny matter, you know. It's embarrassing. Verse 7. Now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another, why do you not rather accept wrong? That never even crossed my mind. Accept wrong? <laughs> no, I'm right. See, I'm right. And they're wrong. So why would I accept wrong? Paul's calling him on it. Why are you worried about these tiny matters? Isn't it far more important that the people in the situation get saved or come to know Jesus Christ, or at least wisdom comes out of your mouth? And if you're wronged, everybody knows you're wronged, and that witness carries on. Oh, look how he handled that with such grace and mercy that he didn't pout and kick the rocks and cuss and swear all the way out the door. He accepted it and went on, and look at how God has blessed him. I mean, you want to talk about story after story in the Old Testament of people being wronged and God totally blessing them because they did the right thing. They did the biblical thing. God comes through every time. Think of Jacob. That's a big deal when you don't get the right wife, you know? Hey, can I take your veil off? Not till tomorrow morning, you know? (laughs) Oh, it's Leah. It's not Rachel. Oops. What are you doing? Well, I just thought I'd marry off the older one first, said Laban, and I think I'm going to let you have the younger one later, but you got to work seven more years. All right all right, I, you know, get him, Jacob. No, I, all right. And he does another seven and he gets he gets Rachel and then he starts messing with the goat situation. He's watching all of Laban's goats. And he says, well, I, I just want the spotted and speckled ones. And Laban's like, that's a great idea. I don't like the spotted and speckled ones. They're the weak ones, you know. You take the spot, that's great. You take the spotted and speckled. And all of a sudden, that's all the flock was producing was speckled and spotted ones. God just steps in and says, I'm going to make this person a nation. He's going to need a lot of goats, you know? And he begins to get it. and then Laban begins to think, well, wait a minute. How are you getting all these? And they think they've been wrong somehow. Even though it was Laban's sneaky plan to jip Jacob out of goats, it backfired. I encourage you, and I think Paul's trying to encourage the First Corinthians church, to let the world's plans backfire in your life. Let them backfire. Give room for God to do amazing, miraculous things that they might look at you and say, I thought we pulled one over on you, but it looks like the egg's on our face. That's an old phrase for you young people. Egg on your face, you know? Yeah, it looks like it's fallen back on you. Proverb after proverb, Psalm after Psalm, and they laid out nets and snares and traps, and my enemy fell into their own traps and snares that they laid for me. All Paul's saying is I want you to be spiritually minded and walk in such a way that you can let yourself be wronged and watch God totally turn it around. Let it happen. It's a beautiful thing. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourself be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. I see all your... (laughs) Business practices and how you're ripping people off. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Now, he's been talking about court so far, but look at this list he pulls out. Neither fornicators. Those are people that have sex outside of marriage, before marriage. That's a fornication. That is someone who doesn't inherit the kingdom of heaven. Neither fornicators nor idolaters. Those are people that put anything before God in their life. It's people that worship things other than the Lord. Nor adulterers. Those are people who have sex with other people outside of marriage. That's adultery. They don't inherit the kingdom of heaven. Nor homosexuals. Those are the ones that submit to homosexuality. I'm not going to go into great detail of that, but that would be one of the two. Nor sodomites. That would be the other person involved. In the homosexual act, they don't inherit it. Nor thieves, nor covetous thieves. I I guess I could elaborate on that, but that's taking stuff that doesn't belong to you. Nor covetous, that means I want that person dead and I want their stuff, you know? Or they don't have to be dead necessarily, I just want their stuff. I don't want my own, I want theirs. I want that, you know? Not being content with what God's given you. And being blessed by someone else having more than you, or what they—I want their stuff, you know. Nor drunkards—they don't inherit. Those are people that cannot get away from the bottle. They are self-medicators. That's all they can do. That's how they survive in this world. Is they have to have that. What do you mean I can't have that? I need to kind of take the edge off. I need to. I'm going into a public situation. I need to. I need to just have one or two so that I can kind of mellow out a little bit. Those this is what he's talking about. People that self-medicate. Nor revilers, those who talk about other people and bring them down and do nothing but uh, tear other people down, nor extortioners do this or else bribes and black blackmail will inherit the kingdom of God. And in verse 11, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified. In the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Paul expects fruits of repentance. If you were those things and you've come to Jesus Christ, your back should naturally be to those sins and you should bear fruits worthy of repentance. I've turned away from my sin that Jesus died on the cross for. I shouldn't be in it, playing in it, enjoying it, and fulfilling all those fleshly desires and being kind of carnal in this world. That doesn't... Yeah... It's a condition of the heart, but you should still look like a Christian. Not just deep down inside, but like I said, on the surface, when people see you, they ought to know. I don't want to be so incognito or so undercover as a Christian that I had no idea you were a believer in Jesus. I mean, the way you talk and the way you act, I would have never thought, you know. Mm. So Paul takes this court case situation and this uh Uh, arguing amongst themselves and having the world come in and he turns it into this list this incredible list now there's several things to notice about this list this is a list that you can be set free from such were some of you none of those things define you or are you those are things that you've been set free from such were some of you you're not those things anymore To look at any one of these lists and say, well, that's just who I am. These are things I've got issues. I've got things in my past. I've got Christ came to set you free. And if you're free, you're free indeed. Now, how does Justice Kavanaugh come in here? Oh, boy, does he ever. Just by saying what I said tonight, publicly, online, we've opened up not only myself, but anybody sitting in this room, to an incredible amount of harassment that could come your way. You go to what church? Your church actually believes that homosexuality is sin and judgeable, and those people go to hell if they don't repent? You're going to a church like that if you didn't know that. Run, I guess. I stand with Justice Kavanaugh. If you don't understand why I'm bringing him up, he has an assassination attempt on his life today. The guy was at his house or in front of his house with the gun, with the tools to break into the house. And thank goodness, some law enforcement officers that aren't on somebody else's payroll who are actually looking out for bad people intervened and stopped it from taking place. Now, why was he on this guy's radar, this crazy guy's radar? This guy had discovered, and like everybody else, that Justin, Justice Kavanaugh lived here. He's been what's called doxing. It's called doxing. It's, it's a term they use now, D-O-X-X or D-O-X, and it's not, it's D-O-C-S is what it meant. Your documentation has been outed. Where you live, your phone number, your emails, your work address, everything about you. You're public now. Everything that you thought was secret is now broadcast. So if anybody wants to find you, they can find you. And that had been done because the Supreme Court leak that took place on the overturning of Roe versus Wade. And Chuck Schumer standing out there saying, you're reaping a whirlwind. You said this and we caught you doing this and you're going to reap a whirlwind. And that just got all the crazies jazzed and not so crazies jazzed. So here comes this guy who says, I want to make my life meaningful. Took a flight from California all the way to Justice Kavanaugh's home, and walks up and is ready to assassinate him to make up, be a martyr for the cause. We're living in really weird times. We're close, very close to Jesus coming back again. And I want you to understand something about this and why I'm bringing it up and why I'm talking about it tonight, because I've been trying to get that my family to understand, but I also don't want just them to understand what it means to be under that kind of my- We are going to be under such persecution that I don't think you understand what kind of persecution is coming away. It's not just a funny look at the grocery store, which I get all the time from the people that run <laughs> the on-campus theater groups. Oh, boy, there's that pastor, you know? Yep. Here I am. But because you come here, you're open to that also. Even if you don't say anything out loud. I want you to know that ahead of time. I think that's important. Because it's going to be harder and harder to be a Christian. And I'm not going to get quieter and quieter. I'm going to get louder and louder as the day draws near. Because people need to know where the light is and where the salt is. Got to be there. Every one of us has to be there. I don't know if you've ever experienced doxing before. Our family's experienced doxing recently in an unrelated, unrelated spiritual matter, but our phones were actually co-opted or taken over to where I would receive a call from Seth and it would show up with Seth's picture and his phone number. And it was not Seth on the other line. We had it here on our website while I was teaching the people that were trying to, Bribe us or not bribe us? Actually extort us? We're actually commenting on our web page while the live service was going on. When are you going to do this? Is that a very Christian thing to do? Why don't you tell your son to do this, do this, do this? Till finally I got the FCC involved. I had to make a report on this. Hey, they've taken over my phone. Jenny was getting calls from people that weren't him. Seth was getting calls from people. You wouldn't believe the kind of feeling that puts in the pit of your stomach knowing they know where you live. They're talking to you on their phone, but using someone else's phone. They're doing that and they're, they're outing our church. So I made a call to the FCC. I filled out the report that I need to do. They've taken over my phone number. This kind of thing's going on. And I did that publicly from my phone so whoever was on my phone could see what I was doing. I called Adam James. Adam James says, yeah, let me know what I need to do. He's a police officer here in town, a detective I said, I want you, if you can, if they start doing that online again, I need you to pop on. Say, this is Detective James. Please stop by the police office. I'd love to talk to you about anything you'd like to talk about. It all stopped instantly as soon as we got the enforcement people involved. I fight back. But what a bizarre feeling knowing that they can show up at your house. Can you imagine Justice Kavanaugh? Oh, I'm so glad you caught him. Wait, how many other thousand wackos are out there? who are even going to be emboldened by this guy who didn't have a successful attempt, but maybe if we all rush the house, or maybe if we, what do you do? When you start talking about what I'm talking about during Pride Month, I posted videos for my family to see of the folks that protested inside the church. I think it was in Texas. Where they took off all their clothes. The girls stripped and started cussing and saying, it's my choice, it's my body, it's my choice, during the worship service, and they just have their underwear on, you know. (laughs) How do you train security for that? You can't touch them. You can sue them. You can take their picture, because they cannot disrupt a worship service. It's illegal, and you can sue them, which we would do. I'd absolutely sue anybody that did that. Because they're an unbeliever. It doesn't apply to this chapter 6. That's how you fight back. Why am I saying all this? Well, part of it's a soapbox, I guess. But I want you to understand what it means to be a true Christian as times get harder and harder, more difficult. And you need to be, the temptation will be, if you haven't made your decisions now, where you stand on these issues is you will cave. You'll acquiesce and say, well, yeah, I don't know. I just, I think God loves everybody. Everybody. Of course he does, but he hates sin. He hates sin so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for the sins of the people. When we begin to eradicate sin from church and say that this doesn't exist, and these aren't sins anymore, what in the world did Christ do then? What sin did he die for if it's all okay? What isn't okay? I even got tired of the hate is not a family value bumper stickers. That was years ago that started. We're so further along than that. Hate is a biblical value. It's in scripture. God hates sin. He doesn't tolerate it. He hates it. It can't be in his presence. And the fact that it's on his children or in his children causes him to hate. It's like saying, well, we don't hate cancer. We love cancer. We accept cancer. Not when it's in your kid. Not when it's on them. That's when you hate it, and that's why we fight so hard. Guys, sin is a cancer spiritually to our lives. We need to hate it. We need to treat it. We need to eradicate it from our lives. We need to be ready. It is not getting better. We will elect as many people as we can that are believers in Jesus Christ, that will follow it, but can you imagine the pressure and the doxing that'll take place on them and their families? Who would want that? Sign me up to be stalked for the next four, six years, however long my term is. Oh my goodness. I'm going to take some tough people with intestinal fortitude and assuredness and, and a, a grasp and a standing upon the, the rock of Jesus Christ and his word, immovable mountains. These things are sin. This list is something that Paul brings up because the Corinthian church was engaging in all these things. He says, that is not bearing fruit of repentance. You need to look like Christians too. I have a long list of scriptures that talk about how God not only saves us from sin, but also saves us to change us. I'm going to breeze through them as fast as I can. Psalm 5110, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me because I don't have that. Psalm 139, 23 through 24, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. I want to be different from who I am. I'm asking you to come in and change me. Ezekiel thirty six twenty six. and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I, I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I want to give you that new heart, not the heart you currently have, but a new one. I want to change you. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 11, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You've been changed. Quit acting like you're not. 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all with unveiled faces beheld the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Ephesians four twenty-two through 24 to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians 5, 1-2, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up, up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Colossians 3.10, and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And finally, 1 John 3, 2-3, through Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him um, purifies himself as he is pure. I said all those. It's a long list, and it may be glossed over, but the idea is throughout Scripture, it is a, promise and a purpose of God to change us from the rottenness that's come from sin in our lives to the holiness that he desires in us and has always wanted. I'm trying to bring you from where you've you've ended up in your own decision-making in your life and take you to what it was like in the garden pre-tree, pre-fruit. They want that. Corinthian church quit it (laughs) and Calvary Chapel, Maryville, if you need to hear that today, quit. Stop. If you're in that list in any way, shape, or form, remove yourself from that list. Change. Because you've been set free. It's a promise. Verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and stomach for food, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Now he's moving into a different subject. Simply sexual sin right here. Now people like to focus on these verses and take them out of context. All things are lawful. I can do anything. Legally, because you, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all sin, but it's not right, it's not appropriate, it's not, it's not good for you. In Romans 6, we just went through this, verse 15, What then, shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace, which is what he's saying there? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey? whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. You make a contrast. Don't you understand that when you submit yourself to sin, you don't call it that, nobody says that, but that's what you're doing. You're making yourself a slave to that sin. I've set you free. Oh God, on my knees, deliver me from this body of death, from my sin in my life. I hate who I am. I hate who I've become. I hate the damage I'm doing in everybody's life and mine also. Save me. He breaks those chains only for us to step back into those very things. And say, I can be here if I want to. I'm not under law. What a ridiculous thing to say. That's like going back to prison even though you've been let out. I like the food here. It's not what you said six months ago when you asked God to get you out of here. You should never want to be near that place again. It should make you a sick feeling in your stomach to even think about going back to a place like that. Oh my gosh, I can still hear the doors clanging behind me. I don't know if anybody's been in prison before, but it's a terrible sound. To hear doors of a prison close and knowing you can't get out unless someone wants you to get out. But you have no rights and you do not go anywhere until they say you can. And you get on your knees, you pray and ask God to forgive you. And those doors open, you never want to go near that place again. You know, we've got Christians today saying, I can do it if I want to. I can break the law if I want to because I'm not under the law anymore. I'm under grace. That is not what he means, and that is not what it's for. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Back to this sexual sin. The body is not for sexual. It's 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 not for that. Uh, this immorality that is in your body. It's. It, You can't. There was this doctrine, this understanding um, that whatever you did in the body didn't really matter because it wasn't your spirit. What you did in the spirit was what matters. But what you did in the body, well, the body's flesh, and it's weak, and it sins. It's what it does. But your spirit. So even if my body's doing that over there, I'm not really doing that. I'm the spirit side of me. Oh, baloney, you know. And Paul says that. Well, he didn't say baloney. Probably. Didn't have that. Well, no, it'd be pork, wouldn't it? That probably wouldn't. <laughs> not a word they used back then. But what a ridiculous thought. No, 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 no. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the member of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Should I go to a prostitute and say, it ain't me. It's just my flesh. Look what he says here. Or do you not know that who is joined to a harlot is one body with her. For the two, he says, shall become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Because when you talk about sin and we're doing a fire and brimstone preaching tonight kind of thing, you know, which it isn't, There's hope. There's two sides to this coin. What Paul just said there is, don't you understand the way you sin and your whole body goes into the sin and you take Jesus with you into that sin because he's in you and you're in him. So when you join yourself to a harlot, don't you understand you're joining Christ to the harlot as well? Oh, it just makes my skin crawl to think of that. Likewise, don't you know that you have the same access to God? We're so worried about not being with harlots or not doing sexual immorality or something like that. We forget what happens if we would invest our time and, and thought and, and join ourselves to the Lord, we have access to him. Amazing power, amazing gifts, amazing uh, relief and peace and long suffering and kindness and joy bubble up from within. Just by doing that, instead of the guilt and the shame and the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the, oh, I just wish I'd never, you know. You can also go this route. It doesn't have to be just not this. It can be, you get this. Several scriptures. Oh, did I write them down? Yeah, I did. Hey, look at me. (laughs) Let's do John 17, verses 20 through 21. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Okay? We are in him. So that's the idea of joining together. Second Peter 1, verses 3 through 5. We jump in the middle of it, verse 3. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness... Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which having been to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. To bring that scripture into what we're talking about tonight, when I get into his word, when I walk in the spirit, when I ask God to fill me with the spirit, when I do the will of my father today and not the will of my flesh, when I'm actually paying attention to people and their needs and helping people that are weeping and crying and are, and are lost, I begin to partake just like I partook of the harlot, if I'm in the flesh, I begin to partake of the divine nature of God. You begin to participate in his ministry. He so wanted his guys to understand that. He sent them out. Remember when he sent those guys out two by two? Hey, guys, go out. I'm going to fill you with the Spirit, you're going to do great things. You just gave them a taste of what it's like to be walking with the Father and in the Spirit. And they came back, we cast out demons. People were being healed. He goes, isn't it great? But that isn't the great part. The great part is that you get to be in heaven with the Father. I'm like, yeah, that is great. You know, they kind of, oh, yeah. I wish we knew what we were missing out on, not just not sinning and focusing, but if you dive into what God wants you to do, you begin to partake of his divine nature and participate in ministry that was only meant for him and the Holy Spirit. And now because you're being led, you're in it. You're doing those things. It's amazing. It's supernatural. It's the power of God. It's the difference between attending church and listening to another Bible study, taking more notes that I'm not going to go back over again. You know? So let's have some life. Let's experience Christianity as we minister to other people and see their faces light up and see their lives changed or at least begin to change. When you get to partake in that, what a blessing. So, verse 18, it's a very simple thing flee sexual immorality. Sometimes it just takes running. I can't seem to get a handle on this. Then run. Well, I'd like to stand up and fight with the full armor of God. Well, sometimes you just need to put your nikes on and run from it. If that's what you got to do, that's what you got to do. Just run, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now they had to be taught that at church, not to have sexual morality. Don't do those things anymore. Oh, it was eye-opening to them. The, The church doesn't talk like this anymore a lot of places. So when a teaching like this goes out, which seems a little like a strong cup of coffee maybe, it's foreign to a lot of Christians. What, what do you mean? i not. What's fornication? That's having sex with the girl sitting next to you at church. Oh, we're not supposed to be doing that. We're going to get married. We plan on getting married. No, Christians don't do that. They don't do that. So I'm supposed to stop doing that? Yeah, yeah. That's kind of harsh. No, no, no. You are. You're supposed to quit. Well, we're just kind of seeing, we're just trying to, and this gets to be too much for people. They hear it, and they're like, oh, what a, what a bigot, what a, there's no love. No, that is love. We've gotten so far away from what true love is in the church. True love is leading people to a savior from sin. That's why we do what we do. That's why we walk the way we walk. That's why we preach what we preach because we don't want them living in the cesspool of their life that they're living in right now. It's better. We were made for higher. We were made for better. We're called to that. So flee sexual immorality. Think of Joseph as he's in Potiphar's house. You talk about a guy that was wronged, and he's sitting there, in Potiphar's wife. If you don't know the story, Joseph gets sold by his brothers to this caravan, actually a couple of brothers, to Egypt, and they go to Egypt. And they begin to—he's in prison, and all of a sudden he gets to be Potiphar, the 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 the, the guy's uh, like helper, or servant man, or whatever he is. And Potiphar's wife is looking at him, saying he is cute, and she begins to hit on him day after day after day. And the pressure was incredible, constantly, constantly giving Joseph the opportunity to sin against Potiphar, against his boss. And you know what? Who cares? It's Potiphar. He's my captor. He's the guy who's—I'm a slave to this guy. Why not take whatever I can get? But Joseph didn't. Joseph knew what God wanted him to do was far more important than his condition or his surroundings or his situation. I'm not going to justify sinning against God just because my situation's hard. So finally, she grabs him by the coat and she says, lay with me. And he runs and leaves his coat behind. He flees it. There's nothing to do. Now, the accusation is going to be there. You talk about getting doxxed. He, gets to, he has to go to prison just off this woman's word. There's no trial. I got his coat. What I say is, is law. It's horrible. We're to flee sexual immorality. We're to stay away from it, to run from it. Psalm 17:3. You have tested my heart. You have visited me, visited me in the night. You have tried me and have found nothing. I have purposed that, I, that my mouth shall not transgress. Joseph had made a decision, I'm not going to sin regardless of my situation. Even if I'm a slave, I'm not going to do it. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all taken captive into Babylon. Good Jewish boys, purposed in their heart. Even in Babylon, as a slave, I'm going to be obedient to God. When, of, uh, when many of Israel had fallen and did bow down to the idol of Nebuchadnezzar that did do what the Babylonians did, that said, well, if God's forgotten us, I guess I'm going to make the best of it while I'm here. You know, not these guys. Daniel eight. but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. We have to purpose in our hearts now while you can. Because there's going to come a time when every one of us is going to have to say yes or no to the sin in front of us, to what the world says. Are you a bigot or are you not a bigot? By your definition, world, I'm definitely a bigot. Because I believe Jesus Christ and I believe his word and I stand upon it. But if you don't make that decision now, before that moment of truth comes, it's going to be very difficult for you to say, What you believe because you haven't worked it out yet. Work it out. Think it through. Pray it through. Read up. Study scripture. Ask God to show you and purpose in your heart now while you can so that you're ready to stand up against that when it comes because it will come. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul's boldness to speak to this church like this, to tell the Corinthian church in love what they need to hear. God, we've heard. For ourselves first, but also as a body. As a body of believers, we stand. We stand with Justice Kavanaugh. We stand with all those who oppose abortion. We stand with those who are against the rewriting of Title IX. We stand against all that weirdness that Biden's doing to withhold uh, lunch money from any kind of school that doesn't allow transgender or males to go into female bathrooms or locker rooms and all the perversion that's going on in this world, Lord, we stand with you, with your word. We stand upon the truth. There's a reason you're coming back and there's a reason that it's getting darker and there's a reason that we're light and salt. Lord, help us to know what our purpose here on earth is. That's to stand up and to stand out loud and to be light and salt in this world. We purpose in our hearts tonight to follow you and to be obedient to you, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.